0: seven chosen to serve. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Bart. Um, as Alan said, we're, we're just taking a kind of two-week break. Um, deja vu from the last time I was up here. Um, Take a week break. See you kids. Um, Take a two-week break from from Luke's gospel, and we're going to look at deacons. Um, This morning will feel a little bit different, a kind of a topical uh, sermon, um, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, of a kind of a Presentation, kind of lesson uh, than it than it normally feels like, uh, but really, really important. Uh, we've been working towards uh, this Deacon stuff for quite a while um, for a number of reasons, some outside of our control, some within. Uh, this has kind of kept kind of getting pushed down the road. Uh, but we trust the Lord, His sovereignty, His timing. So uh, here we are, uh, leaning in, and uh, I'm really excited because deacons are an incredibly important and beautiful part of the local church family, and hopefully we see that today. Let me pray for us again, and we'll uh, dig in. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we just want to start by saying thank you um, and by saying uh, we love you. Uh, we thank you for, for loving us. Um, with a love that just has no measure, a love that, uh, that sent your very Son to the cross to die on our behalf. Jesus, uh, you have brought many from death to life. You have brought many from being uh, strangers and aliens without hope, exiles away from you, God, to being part of your very family. We thank you for the church. Um, Jesus, we thank you for, uh, for building your church. Um, we thank you for your, your word that helps us be your church Uh, We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, guide us. Um, Even in a a talk like this today, Lord, I pray you would be at work. Uh, I pray we'd understand the gospel better. I pray we'd see Jesus more clearly. Um, Do that for us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Uh, There's nothing more important for the local church than to have a biblical church leadership. There's nothing more important for the local church, for village, than to have biblical church leadership. I wonder what you think about that statement. I read that um, recently and just kind of, have you ever been to like a, if you've ever been to like a, a proper kind of like scholarly debate, it's probably more like common in American schools to have like debate clubs and stuff like that. But uh, usually in a, in a debate, there's different formats, but there's an idea that one person has a statement like a resolution that they are to defend the other house uh, is to uh, refute that statement, and they kind of debate. I've kind of been doing that in my own head with that statement um, the past while. The, the, the thing about being a Bible teacher, though, is, is I don't bring my ideas, to use my kind of preferences to see uh, what I kind of think about that. The, my job is to go to God's Word, open the Bible, and then present for you what God's Word says on the matter. So, uh, but I, I wonder what you think about that statement. There's nothing more important for the local church than to have biblical church leadership, um, it's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because I think there are certainly things you can make a case for as being first, or, or maybe more important, or put it this way, more foundational. And there, there's definitely some foundational things that come first. But I think once you kind of lay that foundation. Uh, the Bible, the New Testament, when you read it, I think does agree with that statement that there's nothing more important for the local church than to have biblical church leadership. Um, and it's important that it's the, the qualified in that way. It's not, hey, there's nothing more important than the church to have strong leadership. I don't think that's a very great way to put it. I think that's actually potentially a pretty dangerous statement. Um, although I think the church needs strong leaders, I think the better way to put it is, is in that way. We need biblical church leadership. Um, because when you qualify it in that way, it means that that leadership is, is built on some foundational things. Um, and I kind of want to start by laying a foundation for us this morning. Um, I want to just kind of lay uh, this kind of three biblical truths that, that are a foundation for us before you can begin to, to kind of look and unpack what the church leadership structure should look like. Um, three biblical truths foundational for thinking about church leadership. Uh, the first one is that Jesus is the head of the church. Alan touched on that already. The Apostle Paul makes that clear um, throughout uh, the, his book, his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians one twenty two says, And he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church, you, the saints, are the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. And Ephesians 4:12 talks about the saints being the this body of Christ that are being built up in him. And Ephesians 5.23, he continues to use that, that, that kind of metaphor of head and body. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Paul goes on to say the church now submits to Christ, its head. So Jesus is the head of the church, um, which is his body. He is the, the supreme leader of the church. He's like the actual lead pastor. Peter calls him the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5. That's a foundational truth that we must build upon, that we must understand. Uh, Before we can figure out church leadership structure, Jesus leads this church. Jesus is the head of this church. He's the chief shepherd. Does he raise up under shepherds to to lead? Yes, but um, he is the head over all of them. The second foundation is that uh, the church is not a human idea, so it's not like Jesus ascended into heaven and then his 12 apostles were like, what do we do now? Let's kind of come up with some ideas and some structures. No, no, the, the church was God's idea, his plan that he made in eternity's past in order for the riches of his glory to be, to be known and to be on display. The, the church is God's idea, his plan. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that's a, a beautiful and incredibly important and hard to wrap your mind around truth, that he chose his church before the foundation of the world. In Matthew 16, Jesus himself says, I will build my church. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, this, this family of believers that God has, has called to be his treasured possession. It's his idea. It's not a man-made one. And lastly, because the church was his idea and not ours, it means that the order of the church or the, the, the way this body is meant to function and it's meant to be ordered is also not based on human wisdom and ideas. We don't come up with those, that order, those structures. We are given the order. We, we are given the way it's meant to be structured, the way it's meant to function by God in the holy scriptures. Um, we believe at Village, uh, what Paul says in, in 2, 2 Timothy uh, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is, is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that means that all that we do here is, is to be shaped by the authoritative Word of God. That, that's why we generally read the Scriptures from up there and we preach from down here. That, that's, we do that on purpose, that's kind of symbolic, that, that everything that's, that's said and done down here, it's under the scrutiny of God's word. It, it should line up with it. So we, when it comes to church leadership, we don't come up with kind of crafty and, and innovative ways to, to, to order our church. We receive that order from God in the scripture. Those are three foundational truths that we we must be firm on and understand before we can begin to talk about what faithful biblical church leadership looks like. Jesus is the head of the church. The church was his idea, his plan, and the order and the structure of the church is given by him in Scripture and on that last one, well, what does scripture say then? What, what does the, the, the New Testament say about how Jesus' church should be structured? Well, when we read the New Testament, there, there's two official offices of leaders in the church. You have the overseers and the deacons. The overseers are the elders and the deacons. And they're, they're two separate but different uh, uh, offices, but they're very closely uh, linked. Um, there is so much to say. We're kind of, we're kind of fitting in like a, a, a five or six week series into two. So uh, buckle up and we're going to kind of steamroll through this. Um, I might be a little bit longer today. That's why we've kind of chopped down some other stuff. So um, I, I want to give you a brief overview of those two offices. Won't be able to say everything, uh, but I'll do my best to give you the essentials to help you understand how they, are, how they work together, how they're different, but they're incredibly important and beautiful and, and connected. And obviously, most of the time we'll spend the majority of our, our time looking at deacons, but, but you can't understand what the deacons do and who the deacons are without first understanding the, the, the office uh, of, the, of the overseer and the elder. So we'll spend some time on both this morning. And I'll say from the start, the Bible tells us much more about elders, about overseers, than it does about deacons. And I, I think there's a reason for that, and we'll get to it. Um, but elders are mentioned a lot through the New Testament, aren't they? We see the elders at work a lot through the book of Acts and through the epistles. Deacons, on the other hand, they're only mentioned three, maybe four times, which isn't much, uh, but it's enough to give us a firm grasp of, of what the role is, the importance of it, and the, the, the beauty of it for the local church. Uh, the Greek word diakonos, it's used in, in kind of different forms, in different ways, about 29 times in the New Testament. And um, it's, it's, most of the time it's used, it's used in a kind of non-technical sense, a, a kind of verb kind of sense. So to deacon is literally translated most of the time as to serve. To deacon is to serve. So in, in one sense, we're all called to be deacons because we're all called to be servants in Jesus' church. Jesus himself is a deacon, uh, in, in Luke 22, he says, he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. Literally, it's, I came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. So, the majority of the times that word is used in that kind of non-technical verb kind of sense, um, there are three or four times that that word deacon is used in an in a official kind of sense to, to describe an official office. Um, the first time the Apostle Paul uses that word and he introduces us to the official office of deacon or the diaconate is in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, where he greets the church in Philippi that he's writing to. And he, he writes, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at, the, who are, who are at Philippi, that's the, the church in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So there are the two biblical leadership offices in the church, the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. Anytime deacons are are mentioned in this kind of official sense, it's always alongside the elders, and it's always immediately after them. And I believe that tells us something uh, about how the two offices relate to one another and to the church. Um, Paul isn't saying something about the the importance and the weightiness of these offices in the way that we tend to think of the importance uh, of leadership. And this is a big hurdle for us to, to get over. It's an important hurdle to get over because we tend to think of leadership in, in kind of worldly terms, in corporate terms, in business terms, even political terms, don't we? So you look at the offices and you think, well, one is more important. One is, is, is loftier. It's, it's, it's more important in that way. The other is kind of subordinate. It's subservient to the other office. Listen, when we import that kind of hierarchical uh, understanding of, of the way leadership works into church leadership, we go astray very, very quickly. We, we get confused really quickly. We get frustrated very, very quickly because the, the predominant parallel that the New Testament writers use when describing the the church, it's, it's never in kind of business or corporate terms. It's usually in two different ways. Sometimes the parallel, the symbol is a flock, a sheep, sheep with shepherds, usually the the predominant symbol is family. So, So a family, it operates and is led very differently from the rest of the world, in the business world, in the corporate world. So when it comes to these two offices, they do have different roles within the family. One of them does come first in a way. It's established first. The, the overseers, the, the elders, they're called to, to lead the family. They are shepherding the sheep. But in no way are they climbing to the top to reach the top of this kind of leadership ladder. and Coming to be first, reaching to the top, lording it over those beneath them. That's not what shepherds do. That's not what good fathers do. And I know not everyone here has had good fathers, so it's even harder to understand. But good shepherds Good fathers, they they tend to the flock. They care for the family. They they teach. They correct. They go after wayward ones. They fend off wolves and thieves. They're, They're strong, but they're gentle. They're the first to go into the fire always. You have these overseers and you have the deacons. They're different roles in the church family. We see a lot of what the overseers do in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20... Paul's leaving the elders at the church in Ephesus, and he, he's kind of giving them this one last charge. And In verse 28, he says, you elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for it's literally to shepherd the church of God which he obtained with his own blood that's what the elders do the overseers in Titus 1:5 Paul he's he's writing to Timothy and he says this is why I left you in Crete so that you might appoint uh, so that you might put what remained into order anytime Paul's talking about the local church he's usually concerned about the proper order of the church and he tells Timothy, put what remained in order, and the way he does that is he says to appoint elders, overseers, in every town as I directed you. Again, in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul says, here's the two offices that I'm writing to, this church that has overseers and deacons. And through the book of Acts and through the epistles, we see these two offices are different roles in the church, but they're so important. They're so crucial. They're so beautiful when they when they when they're operated in the way they're meant to be. The old, the old, the elders are the ones who oversee the church. Um, in one Timothy three, Paul gives us the qualifications for the overseers, and then he gives us the the qualifications for the deacons. We'll look at that more next week. Let me just read you the qualifications for the for the overseers for the elders. Um, I think it might be on the screen, Jason. Um, 1 Timothy 3, one, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a, norm, a, a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. They must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive for how does someone know how to manage uh, for for someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for god's church that gives you the the kind of the the nutshell job of a of a of an elder to to oversee god's church to to manage and care for his family he must, he must not be a recent convert. Uh, he must be thought of well by outsiders. In Titus, he gives more qualifications, a lot of the, the exact same. We don't have time to unpack all of that, that this morning, but I hope you get a sense of the type of person these overseers must be. Paul is saying, make sure these overseers are, are these kinds of men, these kinds of, of shepherds for the flock, these kinds of, of fatherly, fatherly figures in the church family. And um, sometime we'll come back and we'll do an entire series through 1 Timothy. I think it'd be amazing. Next week, we'll look at the qualifications of the deacons. But one of the things you'll see is they're very similar to the qualifications of the elders. It's not like Paul saying, make sure your elders, your overseers are of this standard. And then the deacons, they don't need to be quite as good. No, they're, they're just as important. They're, they're just as, 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 as a high standard. These leaders must be top gold standard. They're above reproach. They're dignified. They're faithful in all things as well. They don't need to be able to teach, he says. That's the elder's role. But in no way are they, are they lesser than leaders, No, Paul says make sure they are godly, faithful brothers and sisters. And I do believe that we believe the office of deacon is is open to men and women. I'll I'll go more into that next week uh, a little bit deeper. But the point Paul says here is when you're looking for these leaders, these overseers, these deacons, make sure they are above reproach. Make sure they are faithfully walking with Jesus. They're different roles, but they're equally important. And so if the, the elder's role is to, is to lead, to shepherd, to teach, to equip the church, well then what's the role of the deacon? We'll spend the rest of our time uh, trying to get a grasp of what that role is. Next week, we'll look more at who they are meant to be. Um, so what do deacons do? Um, well, like we've already looked at, you get the simplest answer to that question in, in looking at the translation of that Greek word diakonos, Serve. The deacons serve. And remember, there's your knee-jerk reaction. It's like, oh, serving is not this lesser job in the kingdom of God. Jesus came to serve. He calls us to serve. Jesus actually elevates the role of the servant. In Matthew 23, he says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Literally, your deacon in Mark 9, Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all. Jesus actually elevates the role of the servant. One of the most beautiful ways Jesus exemplifies this in his own life is in the, the washing of the feet of his disciples in John 13. Remember that when they, they go into that upper room for that, their last, uh, last supper, last, last, the final uh, Passover meal, uh, and usually when you come for a meal like that, there will be a servant there. And that servant's job was to, to wash the people's feet. Remember, they're sandal wearers, dusty, disgusting feet. When they would go to a meal, they're reclining at the table, feet up, kind of on each other. They're not feet under the, under the table like us. We don't have to worry about that. So it's important for their, their feet to be washed. And on this occasion, there was no one to do that. There was no servant. you can imagine the disciples looking around and thinking, Who's going to be, boys? Like, who's, who's going to do the disgusting job? What does Jesus do? He takes off his robe, puts that towel around his waist, and he takes on the role of the deacon, the role of the servant. He's showing them, this is the way of my kingdom. So, so the role of the deacons, the, although it's different from the role of the elders, it's no less important. It's, it's it, it, in their work that the servant nature of Jesus is on full display. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's crucial. It's incredibly important. And pastor and writer Matt Smethurst, he wrote this as a kind of a, here's his um, definition of, of deacons. He says, deacons, when rightly understood and deployed, are an irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs in the life of the church. Let me read that line again. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to the tangible needs in the life of the church. In what way did they serve? By assisting the elders, guarding the ministry of the word. We'll see that in a bit. Organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving unity, mobilizing ministry and more. Do you see that the, the roles are slightly different, but they're so connected and so important. Paul, he's concerned with a proper order in the church, and he, he always says, hey, make sure the local churches have overseers. He never says to, to, to Titus, hey, make sure you appoint deacons. His first concern is make sure there are overseers, people meant to, to shepherd the flock, to, to lead, to teach, to defend to to, to from attackers, to correct their paths when they go astray. That's a high calling, isn't it? This, this, this body who, who Christ has obtained with a, with a shedding of his blood, it's, it's a big responsibility. It's a lot to manage. And so they are given deacons to serve. The deacons don't serve the elders. That's important to know. The deacons serve the church but they help, they assist the elders when those non-elder duties begin to pile up, and we'll see that in a second. They they too are under the care and the the direction of the overseers, but they come up alongside and they say, let us help, Let, let us serve, let us relieve the burden, and it's this beautiful picture of the servant nature of Jesus. It's difficult because you're trying to show how They're different roles, but they're so connected and and, and similar. One commentator kind of helpfully puts it this way. The elders serve the church by leading. The deacons lead the church by serving. This is the the pattern that you see when you read about the churches being planted in the book of Acts and and the epistles. The the pattern is the, the gospel is planted. The gospel is preached. Okay, and when the, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is preached and heard, that's what calls believers. That, that's what makes them into this family of believers. And then Paul says, hey, make sure each of those churches have overseers, the, these elders who, who will teach and manage and defend and discipline. That's the, that's the pattern, okay, because you can't have uh, gospel kind of centered churches without having gospel centered leaders. It's not possible. As the leaders go, so goes the church. So it's important. Again, so after those foundations, Jesus is the head of the church. It's his idea. It's his plan. It's his order. After that, nothing's more important than the local church to have biblical church leaders. But that's not the end of the, of the pattern. What happens when that church begins to thrive? It begins to grow. It begins to multiply, which is the goal of the church, right? We all want that to happen. What happens then? Well, these overseers, they need help. Their, their role is to, to teach, to equip, and to shepherd, but that's not all there is to do in the church. There, there are physical needs to be, to be met. There's, there's ministry to be done. There, there are tangible problems that need sorted. So when you read the, the, the book of Acts and you read the epistles, Here's, here's something you see is that you can't have a biblical church without elders. Paul says, make sure they do. You can't have a biblical church without elders, but you can't have a healthy, growing, thriving church for very long without deacons. You can't have a biblical church without elders and you can't have a healthy, growing, thriving church for very long without deacons, for very long that's our experience, I'll I'll put it in this way, another way to to put it is, to be a biblical church, a church must have biblical overseers and elders, you can be a biblical church without deacons for a little while, but when that church begins to, to grow and to thrive, the inevitable need for that official deacon office will arise. That's what you read when you when you see when you read the New Testament. Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible open, go to there. We'll spend the rest of our time here seeing how that's the case. In Acts 7, or sorry, in, in the first seven chapters of Acts, what you see is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the first church. There's only one. Um, and it's in Jerusalem. And the story begins with the risen Jesus. Uh, he, he's about to leave his followers. He's going to ascend to the Father in heaven. But before he does that, he promises to send them the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the, the, the disciples are to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They will receive a power from the Holy Spirit. And then the mission will begin. the the, the spreading of the gospel message to the ends of the earth. It's really exciting. But Jesus says, wait for this to happen. And they do wait. But what's the first thing the apostles do? The, The first thing you see in chapter one that they are concerned with is having biblical leadership. Remember Judas, one of the 12, he betrayed Jesus. He's gone. They're now down to 11. And Peter, seems to take the lead here and he stands up and he opens the book of Psalms and, and he shows them why they must have biblical leadership. That's his first concern. And so they appoint a replacement for Judas. They're kind of showing up their leadership. They're making sure they're, they're in line with the scriptures and they wait for the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, isn't it? In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered by him. Peter again stands up it says, with the other apostles, so there's this plurality of leadership here, but, but Peter gets up and he delivers this, this Holy Spirit-filled sermon, and what happens? 3,000 people get saved that day. 3,000 believers, are, are, are uh, 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 non-believers become believers, and they're baptized, and they're added to the church. Like, powerful, amazing growth, right? Things are starting Great. At the end of chapter 2, there's that famous section. We love so much the fellowship of the believers. We, oh, we love our church to look like this, right? This, this is a church plant. It's a big one. Um, but they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every one of them. Signs and wonders are being done. They, they had all things in common. There's this great unity within the church family. They're selling their stuff, making sure everyone's, no one's in need. So like tangible, physical needs are being met here alongside spiritual needs. They're all praising the Lord together. And what's the result of this? Verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're multiplying, they're growing, things are amazing. This is the beginning of the church. These, these 12 leaders who are leading this group of believers, they're, they're teaching them, they're, they're guiding them in the way of, of fellowship and prayers and breaking of bread and the result is the church is, is expanding. The ministry of the word and the prayers is multiplying. Amazing things are happening But you don't have to read read very far before you see uh, opposition arises. John Stott, he points out three ways that Satan seems to try to destroy this, this first church. If Satan can just stop this first church, then maybe he can thwart the entire mission of Jesus, the spreading of his gospel around the world. It's like patient zero in a pandemic. If they can just stop it there, then it won't spread around the world. And through the next few chapters, you see these kind of three different lines of attack that Satan uses. Three different ways that he tries to destroy this church. In chapter 4, you see him uh, attack them with external persecution. So persecution from the outside. The church is growing. People are being saved. The apostles are leading. The end of chapter 3, uh, uh, Peter is, is preaching again in Solomon's portico, this area outside the temple. Um, chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested... Because of this, this growth, because people are, are, are becoming believers of Jesus, because people are being healed out in the public, so they arrest Peter and John, these, these, these uh, overseers, essentially. And they, they, they question them, and they charge them to, to stop speaking and teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And what do they say? No. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we cannot do that. And they decide they don't really have anything else to charge them, so they, they're forced to let them go. Later on, they're, they're arrested again, and they actually beat them that time, but they actually go away singing. They actually go away empowered and boldened to, to preach even more boldly, and when the church heard about these things, the church themselves were actually emboldened and empowered. The church was actually fueled through this external persecution, so that external persecution didn't work. So in chapter 5, Satan tries to destroy this church from the inside in, from the inside, with internal moral corruption. So you have Ananias and Sapphira. I don't have time to go over that story, but it's one of internal moral corruption. Maybe this will tear this church apart. Maybe, maybe this will stop this mission, but it doesn't. It doesn't work, and why doesn't it work? Because this church has, has biblical church leaders. These leaders who, who do bravely and boldly deal with the moral corruption within their church, their church family, and what's the result Verse 14, many more than ever believers were added to their number. So external persecution failed to destroy the church. Internal moral corruption failed to destroy the church. So what does Satan try next? Well, in chapter 6, we see he tries distraction. If we can just distract these overseers from their main duties, which was teaching and preaching Jesus as, as the Christ, maybe then we can stop. Let's read Acts 6, 1, 7 again. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, things are great, they're growing. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, the Hellenists are these kind of out of towners. They're they're Greek speaking that are in town. They were probably in town for the Passover, heard the message of Jesus, became saved. This is the only church, so they just stayed and, and joined this church. The Hellenist kind of complained against the Hebrews, which were the local believers, that the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what do they do? In verse 2, and the, the, the 12, the overseers in this sense, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty we will devote ourselves to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, the man of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, and the other five. They sat before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them. And what's the result then? Verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, so, verse 1, it's going great, increase in the number, the church is growing, but then this problem is introduced. This, com- this, this conflict is brewing. While the church is growing, while the disciples are multiplying, this complaint arose that the Hellenist, these Greek-speaking widows, were not being cared for as well as the Hebrews. So, that's an issue, Right? But why is there that problem? Well, the very root of, of the reason of the, of the why is because the church is growing. They, they, they are adding people to the church. They're becoming more diverse. They're no longer just 12 Jewish guys following around a rabbi. They're, they're not just 120 local disciples anymore. No, they've, they've added people from far and wide out-of-towners, they, they wouldn't have this problem if it weren't for the Holy Spirit at work and their church growing. Are the widows being neglected? Yes. Is that a problem? Is that good? No, it's not good. But it's an issue they have because the church is healthy and it's thriving. Praise the Lord for growing pains. Pray, praise the Lord that, that some problems are, are, are an indicator that things are going well. Let me just say, if you're frustrated with anything in in our church, let me encourage you to first stop and praise the Lord that we are growing and that we have problems. You ever done that? And then patiently work with your leaders to solve the issues, just like they do in Acts 6. That's a side note. My point is, this story of this growing church that are feeling growing pains, they have these new issues that are coming along, new complexities that story should feel relatable to us. You see, you can't have a church without biblical overseers, but you can't have a church that is growing and thriving for very long without deacons. That's what you see in this Acts 6 passage. We're a little bit past that point. Let's be honest. We're, we're kind of course-correcting here a bit, but this is where we are. This is the pattern that, that village has followed. At the very beginning... Six of us in the living room, village, planted the gospel. We, 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 we started preaching the gospel, and it, and it, and it, and it multiplied. It, it, it flourished. Then we appointed elders, overseers that, that lead and teach and shepherd. And then we're increasing in number. There, there are new issues that arise, new complexities, new needs, more needs. Issues that are only there because the Lord has been, has been good to us and we have grown in this church. Just like in Acts chapter 6. There's conflict that arises because they are growing. There's more needs. There's more chances for people to fall through the cracks. But it's a blessing in a way. They have issues that need resolved because they are growing. And the way the leaders resolve these issues has everything to do with deacons. Satan is attacking this church External persecution failed. Internal moral corruption failed. How about distraction? Let's distract these overseers from what they should be doing. One of the main parts, not the only part, one of the main parts of their role is to teach the Word. But then there are these problems here. There are needs being missed. There there are poor widows being neglected. Is that a, a, a lesser problem? No. It's an incredibly important problem. That's why they appointed these, these people to, to sort this problem out. It needs to be sorted out, but do you see how with dealing with this issue, it would take more and more of their time and energy away from the ministry of the word and the prayer. Look at the result, though, in verse seven. The word of God continued to increase. That's the hope of this church. That is, that is our, 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 our goal of this church, for the word of God to increase increase. For people to, to hear the word and be brought from death to life. And to be, continue to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And in this situation, if these overseers have to devote more of their time, which they only have so much of, to serving at the tables and, and coming up with a solution to this important problem, then it will distract them from their other duties as ministry, of ministry of the word. So what do they do? They appoint some helpers, some assistants um, you won't find that, that, that non-uh official usage of the deacon in this passage. What you have here in Acts 6 is the birth of the church. Holy Spirit is guiding them as they, as they establish this church. So these in Acts 6 are kind of forerunners. They're like a preview to the formal role of deacon that will be established and qualified by Paul later on. But what needs to happen in this church? The word needs to be preached so that it can flourish the flock needs to be led. But also, these widows do need to be cared for. But the overseers can't do it all. And so they appoint these seven to, to, to deal with this problem. Put a pin in that. So that they can do the, continue with the ministry of the word and the prayer. The, these overseer elder duty, duties that, that must continue. Because you can't have a church, a biblical church, without elders doing their elder role but as that church continues to grow and thrive become more complex some delegation needs to happen and that's exactly what you see happen in acts chapter 6 do you see what a gift the deacons are do you see how important this office is that that Jerusalem church was on fire amazing things are happening. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed. The the great commission given by Jesus is steamrolling forward. You see, that's what's happening. What does the great commission say? Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commend you, commanded you. And, And in Acts 6, 7, do you see that's what's happening In Acts 6, verse 7, the word of God continuing to increase, disciples being multiplied, people becoming obedient to the faith. And Satan wants that to stop, so he tries to kill the church with external persecution, internal corruption, and distraction. And none of those things works. None of those things kills the church. Why? Because this church has Holy Spirit-filled biblical church leaders. It has leaders who, who bravely and boldly refused to back down from threats from the outside. Leaders who, who dealt faithfully with moral failure within their church family. when they, they, they probably just wanted to ignore it. And they have leaders who when the church began to grow and thrive and, and that pull of distraction was there, they raised up deacons and they delegated. How, how precious and how crucial these deacons are. I'm wrapping up here. I, there's so much to say. Um, but I want you to just see here, there's, there's two big problems the church faced in Acts 6. First, there, there's that distraction problem. The overseers, who need to be primarily focused on the ministry of the Word, they're getting sidetracked. They're getting overburdened. They're getting stretched. With another important issue. It's not, not important. So the deacons, they were crucial in two things, in helping to care for those people, but also that what they're really doing is they are protecting the ministry of the word. They, they are protecting the ministry of the word so that it can continue to increase and abound. But secondly, you see the deacons have this strategic role in preserving church unity. Which is huge, right? Like th- this is the, the very unity that Christ has just died to achieve is the very unity that, that Jesus says, through this unity, the world are going to know that you are my disciples. The world is going to know that the Father has sent me and loved them. It's so important. And because these widows are being neglected, that unity is at stake. There's a crack beginning to, to form here. So these deacons, they're not just problem solvers. They're not just uh, ministry of the word defenders. They are church unity preservers. They're protecting church unity. Smethers, he says, their care for physical, tangible, financial, etc. needs of the church, it heals divisions. It brings unity under the word, and it supports the the leadership of the elders. Without this practical service of the deacons, the elders would not be free to devote themselves to praying and the serving of the word of God to people. Elders need deacons to serve practically and deacons need elders to lead spiritually. They need each other. That's what a family, we need each other. We have our roles, but they're, they're different, but they're so important, so crucial. That growing, thriving local church needs overseers, but it also needs deacons. Do you see what's at stake here? Do you see what's at stake? Let me remind you the purpose of this local church, we're not just doing life together. <laughs> we are on a mission. We, we have been sent by Jesus to preach the word of his gospel, to preach the gospel, and to be communities of love, communities of unity that, that prove that message to be true. And the local church is God's plan for achieving that mission. And so there's nothing more important for the local church to have biblical church leadership. They have have faithful saints and priests and ministers. That's you, by the way. This priesthood of believers. Those who are being equipped for ministry The elders and the deacons aren't the ones that do all the ministry. It's it's you guys, It's it's the body of believers. There's no such thing in the Bible as a few being called to full time ministry. We are all called to this full time ministry in this kingdom. But also, we are led by biblically qualified overseers who equip the saints, who preach the word, who shepherd the flock and biblically qualified deacons who come alongside and they assist and they help serve the tangible, practical needs of the church. They're preserving the unity of the church. They're protecting the ministry of the word and prayers. So what's at stake in Acts 6? The the unity of the church, yes. The, 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 The word being preached, yes. It's the glory of Jesus here. That's the purpose of this church, is the glory of Jesus through this word being preached, through the needs being met, through the church being unified in front of the world. How beautiful is that? How amazing is it that that God's like, here's what I want you to do. And may we be a church who's obedient and submissive, fills those roles joyfully, and is changing the world for Jesus' sake, for his glory. you stand with me and we'll pray?